Ben. Welcome back to Butter With That, a movies podcast where some friends from Philadelphia come together to talk about all things movie related. We have a very special episode after some unfortunate delays, but as it turns out, we are premiering this episode on the week that we launched Butter With That three years ago, September 13th, 2018. The world was a very different place three three years ago. And we decided to launch a podcast many, many years ago. And here we are three years later, episode 134, I believe. Uh, I'm joined today by Dave, Sam, and Christine. How is everybody doing on our three-year anniversary special? I'm good. I can't believe that it's been three years. Just thinking about 27-year-old Sam, how bright-eyed and bushy-tailed she still was and everything that we have lived through these past three years. And honestly, like how much my taste in movies, I think, has changed, or at least my palate has broadened a little bit because of this show. Yeah, Dave here. I suppose I feel pretty similarly. Uh, it's it's pretty astonishing uh, to me that it's been three years already. It feels... Looking back on some episodes, uh, like they occurred, I don't know, maybe like three or four weeks ago or something like that. Uh, but also uh, strange hearing the timber and rhythm and tone of our voices shift and mold as we've aged with you. So that's been interesting to look back on. Um, and yeah, like Sam, I think um, I think my tastes have not changed very much, but I have watched and absorbed a lot of things that I probably wouldn't have gotten to uh, were it not for uh, my fellow crew. So. Thanks so much, guys. It's been uh, a great three years. Yeah, I shouldn't say that my taste has changed all that much. I should say that I've learned what it is and learned uh, more things that I hate. I think that that is <laughs> As have we, yeah. I just always love uh, preparing for these episodes because whether or not I, like, I'm hosting an episode or I'm preparing to talk about somebody else's pick, I feel like now that I understand the group's various tastes and like really interesting angles and insights that they bring to each movie, I like think about what another person in the group might think about or how they might assess a movie. And it's always really fun to, cause I, yeah, I feel like we, we all have very different interests and also very different things we're interested in and aspects of movies that we really want to talk about. So I'm always watching something. I'm like, Hmm, I wonder what, yeah, the crew would think about this element. Or So it's always fun to prepare. I'm so happy you brought that up, Christine, because I feel like this is really, um, this podcast has enriched the way that I view movies and sort of thinking about, like, I feel like I think a lot more about cinematography. I think it's one aspect that I maybe didn't think about as much until doing this podcast. And so it's just interesting how, I feel like my pace has sort of evolved and the podcast is definitely... Uh, Dave, as you mentioned, I've seen a lot more things that I probably would have never even thought about seeing and generally liking most of the um, things I would have watched and enjoying a lot. So it's expand horizons. I think Butterworth has been really awesome at. So today we are revisiting four movies from the first year in sort of some different takes that we're going with that theme. But before we jump into what films we kind of want to rediscuss, what have folks been watching over the past few weeks? I watched uh, a movie called The Hot Rock recently, uh, which was a lot of fun. It's a heist movie from 1972 starring Robert Redford. And uh, I can't remember the director's name, but it's the director who also did uh, Kroll, the fantasy 
horse movie. Um, but it is so much fun. It is all set in New York. It's like Robert Redford plays a character who just um, got released from prison and is looking to find more opportunities to do some heists, make some money. So he joins up with um, another guy and they're going to steal a diamond from the Brooklyn Museum. And the movie is, the rhythm is so great. I mean, the soundtrack itself is great, but the like the rhythm of the storytelling and the humor, it's a comedy, it's really, really funny. And I can see where Soderbergh gets his groove. I mean, like I, Soderbergh heist movies, I feel like owe a lot to uh, the style of the hot rock. So uh, I, I highly recommend if you're looking for a um, just a fun kind of loose heist movie in which Robert Redford's energy is a lot like Brad Pitt, too. I'm like, Brad Pitt? Yeah, just so much crossover to Soderbergh heist movies uh, today. So I recommend it. Um, I, I haven't had all that much time to watch a lot. And when I have had time, I've kind of just been like dead up here. Dead in, the, dead in the brain. Um, but I did start, I actually watched um, WandaVision again with my roommate who had never seen it. And you know what? That show is damn good. It was just as impactful as it was the first time. And I think I actually cried harder in the last episode than I did the first time around. Um, I think there was one moment I turned to my roommate and I like, I said to her, it was really this line that got me. And I said the line, but I couldn't get it out because I was sobbing. <laughs> um, but other than that, I started to watch Adam Driver's new movie, Annette. And uh, let me tell you, um, very different film, very interesting film. Don't know how I feel about it just yet. How to stop it sort of pretty soon into it to move on and do something else. Um, but it's Adam Driver. So, you know, I'll, I'll finish watching it at some point. I had uh, had been really kind of just having a lot a lot of time sitting down and like absorbing like a whole movie recently. So I've just been watching some television. Uh, I've gone back to rewatching a, a show that was on IFC that's called the uh, The Birthday Boys, which is a sketch comedy show um, that I, I really enjoyed the like absurdity of. If you're a fan of like comedy Bang Bang, say I think some of those guys are writers in that program as well. Uh, and frequently appeared on it. Its executive uh, producer was Bob Odenkirk, uh, who appears frequently throughout the first season. And uh, yeah, very fun, very like absurdist humor. Um, that's been fun to go back to. Also pretty absurd humor in uh, a very specific Simpsons episode that I've always really adored and I'm learning a whole lot more about. Uh, it's uh, season five, episode two, Cape Fear, uh, which is sort of a take on uh, the Scorsese remake of the film Cape Fear. A pretty fantastic episode. I mean, there's jokes like every two to like six seconds or so. Uh, all of them land. It's just really fantastic. And also I've learned a lot, though, about the fact that like at the end of season four, a lot of the staff writers for The Simpsons were going to leave. Um, so they kind of wrote this last episode that was a holdover until season five where they were like, what are they going to do? Fire us. Let's see what we can get away with. Uh, but also came in short of like the time requirement for uh, its, its slot within the cable programming block. So added or extended the inf like famous rake sequence uh and that rake r-a-k-e just to be make sure i'm speaking clearly um with uh sideshow bob you know famously coming out from under the car stepping on a rake and smashing him in the face 
stepping on another rake and smashing him in the face, stepping on another rake and then smashing it and doing nine of those uh, for an extended, like, um, you know, like it's, it's initially funny. Then it goes on too long to be funny, but then becomes funny because it's gone on so long. One of those classic things. Uh, and it's a really great example of that. So um, really love that episode. Would recommend it if you got Disney plus or uh, if you can just find it. Uh, and you also don't have to necessarily be a fan of, or have seen uh, Cape Fear, Scorsese's film, but uh, it certainly helps. That, uh, that is definitely one of the best Simpsons episodes for sure. And the idea of, you know, you just mentioned having to fill a time slot in a network show is like, what a foreign world that was so long ago, like now. Also yeah, the great- and everything. Yeah, and the great ending with the HMS Pinafore was where Bart tricks him into singing that whole score from that uh, that play. Uh, apparently, the costume changes were not part of the script, but were added by the animators, and Matt Groening didn't know about it and really had a laugh when he saw it, so that's pretty cool, too. I feel like you could do a whole podcast about movies and TV shows that Simpsons referenced and then pairing the episode with the movie. Like That could be a podcast in and of itself. Yeah, that would be like dozens of episodes long. <laughs> <laughs> I watched... Two things that I want to talk about. One was uh, the Ryan Reynolds new movie, Free Guy. I saw that in theaters uh, where he's a NPC, so, you know, computer character in a video game. Um, his name's Guy, and he wants to be free. Um, oh. And so it's a really, <laughs> uh, really funny movie. It has a lot more heart than I thought it would and kind of, you know, dives into some pretty heady sci-fi topics about artificial intelligence and the ethics around artificial life that I didn't think a movie with Ryan Reynolds and Taika Waititi, you know, taking you know, that sort of direction, but it was really good. Definitely recommend it. It's only in theaters right now. Um, but whenever it comes to streaming services or if you want to go to the movies, I think free guy is definitely worth your time. And it's worth your time at least for five seconds. Um, because Chris Evans makes a cameo and, mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to see the movie because I'm just not interested, but, that cameo was funny. So at least you know that. I, I forgot that you told me that he cameoed in that Sam. So I you know, saw it and then he had that cameo. I was like, I was dying in my seat. Uh, it was incredibly funny. And I, I feel like I laughed more. I can't remember the last time I laughed that much in a movie theater at a movie. So with a movie. So definitely recommend Free Guy. I also watched a few weeks ago the Lego Batman movie, which is on HBO Max. And man, that is just a damn good animated movie. Um, I saw it in theaters when it came out, but I hadn't seen it since. And so we, I watched it with some friends who'd never seen any of the Lego movies. And um, after watching, I was like, oh, this is definitely one I'll probably bring to the podcast and try to bring to in the near future. So I think that'd be a fun one to discuss. And definitely, I think easily for me, like top five best superhero movies ever made. Was it a sequel to the Lego movie? It's like it's in the same world, but you don't have to see any of the other Lego movies. Like Lego Batman shows up in the Lego movies, but none of the other elements from the other Lego movies come into the Lego Batman movie. I'm gonna keep an open mind. <laughs> I also think the first Lego movie is pretty good, uh, but I haven't seen that probably also since that came out. And the Lego movie too, I did not like at all. But Lego Batman, definitely a very fun ride. All right, well, let's dive into the meat of this episode. We are reviewing movies from the first year of Butter With That, and we discussed 41 movies in the first 52 weeks that this podcast existed. Uh, We had a smattering of trivia episodes and sort of one-off specials. So 42, uh, get that right. 
41 movies that we discussed. So for my pick, I chose a movie that I did not see when we talked about it. For maybe newer listeners, butter with that. Back in the day, since there were five of us, one person watched the movie, one person watched the trailer, one person read the reviews, and then another person watched the movie along with um, the host. And so I chose a movie that I did not see, and I chose 1995's Clueless. And, it, and, you know, this is just the direction that I chose to take it and other folks, you know, decided to take this in other directions. But for me, Clueless has sort of been on my list for a while. I've gone back before and watched other Butter Without Movies that I did not watch. Um, Luck, which was Tori's first pick, uh, was a standout movie for me, a movie that I still you know think about and enjoy. But I really want to revisit Clueless because it's it's been such a tough year. Plus that I figure something like Clueless. I love Paul Rudd. Something that, and it was back to school time. So I think it felt very appropriate to watch Clueless. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I was really, I don't know. I really didn't know what to expect going in. It had been a long time since we watched the episode. And I didn't, uh, before watching, I didn't listen to the episode because I kind of wanted to go in fresh. And I just really, you know, thoroughly enjoyed the comedy of it. Really enjoyed Alicia Silverstone in it. And was surprised to learn that Bill Pope was the cinematographer for Clueless, um, who cinematographer for The Matrix, Army of the Dead. Uh, he recently was a cinematographer for Shang-Chi, Legend of the Ten Rings, and just Marvel movie to come out. So just sort of really um, was really surprised by Clueless and also surprised that, you know, I forgot that Donald Faison was also in it, who I love from Scrubs. Um, he is absolutely a delight in the movie as Murray. Um, and so I just really enjoyed it. I went to revisit. So I guess turning it over to the group, what do you guys remember from the Clueless episode or kind of your thoughts on Clueless looking back? Well, as I recall, it was Tori's pick, correct? Mm-hmm. So, of course, thank you, Tori, for, uh, for the recommendation. Yeah, it's a fun movie. It holds up uh, just about every time, in my opinion. I think it's, uh, you know, it's a time capsule of the 1990s, but I think a lot of the humor still carries over. I've been seeing online that Alicia Silverstone is recreating a lot of the scenes <laughs> like now. <laughs> I think she did one with her son. I think she did one with somebody else. And so, yeah, just watching snippets of her like recreating her iconic scenes and like recreating as best like as close as she can to the outfit, the iconic outfits. Um, so and people are still going wild for like you know, the quick recreation she does, like she did with her son. So yeah, it, it lives in the, uh, yeah. in the collective memory. I mean, I, yeah, I've, I think I rewatched it maybe last year, maybe. And it's so fun. It's, it's yeah. A lot of fun to watch and yeah. When sort of reading about, you know, the process of writing the movie, it was, um, written and directed by Amy Ackerling, sort of starting as this TV pilot about, you know, teenagers, Beverly Hills, and sort of evolving into a loose adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma. I thought just sort of really interesting, sort of the concept of teenage girl who never gets, you know, who's always happy, no matter what happens, never gets, you know, let down, is always working towards something. I thought that was a, a different sort of protagonist um, to have in sort of one of these in-crowd, you know, teenage high school movies. Um, I really love the relationship between her and her dad, the lawyer, who's like super hardworking and cared about, you know, arguing. It's like just 
I don't know, their relationship, I thought, was really wonderful. And uh, young Paul Rudd, as well, is a headliner. And their relationship is weird. Um, you can blame um, Jane Austen for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stepbrother, mar- or I guess potentially marrying stepsister. She is underaged. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of weirdness going on in there, but I thought... Persona and Rudd had good chemistry and the idea of like the kind of like makeover plot line I thought was a lot of fun so it's definitely one worth revisiting um it's on HBO Max so it's super easy to watch and I was another butter with that movie that I probably would have never seen that now because of the podcast I'm very thankful that I watched and that was you know we talked about you know bringing the whiteboard question back for this episode we used to kind of tie a question to a, um, you know an episode that we we're talking about um, such as make a movie religion how would you die in a horror movie and so the whiteboard question that i wanted to bring forward um, for this episode was what is maybe your favorite butter with that movie that you did not see before starting the podcast that now you thoroughly enjoy for one that you were surprised that you liked so much i guess like, yeah biggest surprise episodes and starting the podcast i think we had a roadhouse episode and I loved that movie. I was very surprised and it sort of kicked off for me this adventure of watching 80s, like 70s, 80s action movies. And it's amazing. I love it. So I think that was Tori's pick. So once again, Tori, thank you. Roadhouse is indeed an excellent movie. That was also my first time seeing it for the podcast as well. Rest in power, Patrick Swayze, you're truly powerhouse. David Christine, off the top of your head, any thoughts on Butter with that movies that surprised you and that you ended up enjoying a lot more than you thought you would, or ones that you know have now become you know some of your favorite movies? I think for me, it was the biggest surprise was a recent one. Um, Dave's pick, My Demon Lover. I think like I had no idea what to expect going into that, but that was such a pleasant surprise, and I I I remember watching it and exclaiming. I was like watching on my laptop and I was like exclaiming like, oh, oh, didn't know it was going there. Oh, great song. You know, like so surprises all around. So that was that was a really fun gem. I suppose I'd say for me, this is cheating a little bit because I had seen it before, but hadn't seen it in many years uh, or revisited it since my first viewing would have been uh, Adaptation, uh, Christine's Pick, uh, which is a movie that now is definitely like enshrined somewhere in like a top 15 for me i would say at least so uh yeah definitely uh definitely surprised at returning to it you know i I enjoyed it when i'd seen it around the time that it came out but uh had never really gone back to it and had lost sight of kind of how absurd and like delightfully chaotic a lot of the script and screenwriting are uh, and how meta it is in terms of saying a lot about that process. Uh, I, th- I think it's still one of my favorite screenplays. So uh, very thankful to Christine for having brought that one back to my attention. That's one that I would like to revisit. Because I remember seeing it for the first time. I didn't quite know heads or tails what the make of it. And so I think now after doing the episode, I think, you know, for me, that page would be a good one to go back and rewatch. I think we should also bring back that theme, not do Chris's again, but like do another name. <laughs> I feel like that theme was so like kind of bizarre that we ended up <laughs> picking a lot of very different kinds of movies. Like that was cellular, right? 
that was also a really fun surprise. I'll, I'll do, yeah, Cellular was definitely up there and top surprise too. So we, note to self for podcasts, we should do another name month. <laughs> you should be careful what name you pick. Otherwise, we might get another food fight because of Chris Lloyd. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, there's always some, there's, yeah, minefield with <laughs> anything. For me, when thinking about this question, one that kind of scrolling through our list of episodes that came to mind was Little Women. That was a movie that I had pretty much no expectations for, or, you know, we all have our movie judgments and biases. I was like, I'm not going to like this. This is about Little Women. I'm not Little or a Woman. Just kidding. But um, I, that was one that really um, captured my heart and one that I thoroughly enjoyed and have been wanting to revisit ever since talking about it. And a great little bit by Bob Odenkirk as the father in the movie, um, which is always a delight to see along with everybody else. Dave is here, so that made Bob Odenkirk come to mind right away. Um, Buddy Bob. Hope he's doing well. I haven't heard of, you know anything about his recent trip to the hospital. But he's yeah, okay. Little Women. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good, good. My, yeah, so I, little, I've given a, I, I'm on a first name basis with Ms., Mr. Bob, so. But no, he's doing all right. But yeah, uh, Connor, yeah, I agree. Little Women was a real standout. Well, so I'm, I'm very thankful I went back to revisit Clueless. Would anybody else like to talk about their sort of revisiting or redoing or kind of going back to a year one movie? I would love to go because um, my movie is from our very first episode. So our very first episode is um, we, we picked movies that we thought were um underrated and my pick was testament of youth and connor watched it and connor i remember you disliking this movie so much and your biggest critique was i wanted them to do more and um and i was like well they can't because it's a memoir like they can't make things up from her life and I, I've never stopped thinking about that. And especially when it comes to like watching movies that are about real people and thinking like, yeah, how much do I really want them to add in um, maybe more things, make it a little bit more dramatic or, or how much should they stick to what actually happened? And I thought a lot about it, Connor, with your pick of, can you ever forgive me? Because honestly, like, I, I think I even said it in the movie or in, in the episode, I thought that movie was really boring. And I was like, am I having a Connor moment? Did I want more to happen here? And, and I just have to accept it because it didn't actually happen. So, you know, that's that's something that I'm still grappling with where like how much should it be um, like related to their life? Should they dramatize it at all? Add in a little bit more or speed some things up? So I don't know how y'all feel about that, but um, this was the 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 beef I said I had because I'm never letting go, Connor. <laughs> well, I think that relates honestly to like Little Women. And I thought we had a great discussion about what made uh, Gerwig's adaptation so interesting and so fresh was because like it was really the storytelling mechanisms and like devices she was using. It wasn't necessarily adding more to, and, and that's both a retold story and a true story. So it's like sort of like double layers of like, well, you can't like the book is based on somewhat of a sort of memoir, sort of between fiction and memoir. 
but it was it was her experimental use of of like flashbacks and also like exploring more the relationship between Joe and her like craft as a writer as opposed to just Joe and like her love interests and her siblings which are also really strong plot lines but I bring that little women up to say that I think that like for me a story can be small as far as how much is covered but extremely engaging based on like devices that a director or writer chooses to use to like make the story feel alive no matter whether it's a real like a real story where someone might be constrained by you know uh, facts of what happened but it's really in the storytelling devices that are that are used i think so you know a great connection between little women and testament of youth i think that's a really we were so many more episodes you know, we were almost three years into the podcast and so i wonder because sam i also think about that episode a lot and I remember that after we recording, I think that was the second time we ever recorded at Dave's house um, back in the day. And so I remember usually after we, we talk a lot before recording, talk quite a bit after recording off, off camera, off mic. And I remember you and I had this amazing like 20 minute conversation kind of diving deep. And I was like, oh, I wish I like thought of these things in the moment or thought of these things as recording. And so I think just me as myself, I feel like I've gotten a lot better at this podcasting format, podcasting thing, movie criticism thing. Um, I'd be curious to go back and rediscuss Testament of Youth because I also think about that night a lot as well. Yeah, I recall talking to Christine and uh, Tori at the time and we were all just sort of like trapped in our own banter and every once in a while, like kind of listening in after recording that episode and hearing you two go at this like thing with these really excited points of being like, oh shit, I wish we'd continue recording that. We were such babies. We we didn't know, but now we know a little bit more, right? Just like a little bit more. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I constantly think about Testament of Youth because I still love it so much, despite what you said, Cotton. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know, maybe that's something we can revisit in the future. Okay, so uh, my whiteboard question is related to um, a memoir, I guess. If you were to pick an actor to play you in a movie, who would it be? So, right away. I've been called him many times. I, I, like just top of my head, it would be uh, Seth Rogen. Cause I've just been, I was in a job interview at Chipotle and then the, this, um, one of my coworkers would be like, Oh, you look like Seth Rogen. And so I thought it helped me get the job. Cause I was like a nice icebreaker. Um, we look similar. He's also funny. I hope I'm funny. Um, <laughs> but like just when you said that question, cause I've just been called him several times. I feel like Seth Rogen is my gut answer. Maybe I'll have another one before, you know, before we wrap up. Okay. Seth Rogen. I think you deserve more than that, but I can also see it. I can make those connections. I'm often told that I resemble John Krasinski. I, I get a lot of that. It makes me feel a kind of way, honestly. And then I give everyone a little stare at the camera when they say it. Uh, but but I get a lot of that. I don't think he really matches my uh, frustrated intensity, let's say. So <laughs> I guess if I were to select anyone, it might be, I feel like Jason Bateman plays stressed well. So I think that might be a good fit. But I, I really don't know. Tough question. Uh, I, I suppose the uh, the focus group audience response has been uh, Jim from The Office, but I will also accept uh, Michael Bluth. 
Jason Bateman is such a good answer, but I also think that there's like a little like like darkness to you sometimes, <laughs> and I think like um you don't say <laughs> uh, Paul Dano um just based on what I've seen in There Will Be Blood, um I think that he could pull you off pretty well. Oh, also yeah, no, also I'll say maybe Daffy Duck. Maybe if I can pick if I can pick a, an animated thing, Daffy Duck's a pretty good fit. <laughs> you love that. If we're going along the lines of what people have said or what people have told me, I who like people I look like, uh, I guess in my youth, I would be uh, played by Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in my college years, I would be played by the alien from Signs. <laughs> <laughs> so they can split. In, in my <laughs> Specifically, the alien the scene when the kids are having a birthday party Mm -hmm. and the alien is walking behind them in the sidewalk. (laughs) This would be a hell of a movie. So yeah, Anthony Michael Hall morphs into M Night Alien. Would you be the alien, like in Signs, or would you like like following the plot of Signs, or would you have your own adventure? Well, it uh, it was more just the way that I walk, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> is much like the uh, sort of lope of the alien. So I think it would just be the alien recontextualized in my like into like in my daily life. Like you're, you're just walking by by a children's birthday party and everyone starts screaming and it's on the news. Yeah. And it's like, I'm just doing my thing. I'm going to Aldi, you know, like, I don't know what you guys are doing. Like, you know, don't get, don't get your panties in a twist. Oh, Christine. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there's no way that I could possibly top that. So um, I think that for me, I have two answers. One, I think I look more like, and the other, I think could capture my personality. Um, so I think that many people have told me that I look like Jennifer Goodwin. I think that, sure, I'll work with it. <laughs> I actually have a funny story. So someone who we all used to work with, uh, didn't like me very much. And I knew that, and that's okay. You know, people can have their, their thing. Um, and <laughs> one day we were walking together and <laughs> this person just says, you know, like, um, when it comes to like actors and actresses, I just like, can't stand Jennifer Goodwin. Like there's something about her face. And I was like, okay, I get it. You don't like me. <laughs> So that was funny. Um, but then the person who I think could like could like pull pull off a Sam Hunter is um Mae Whitman. Um she's been in a lot of things. She's in parenthood, she was in the dub. So I really like her. I can see that. What was the first show that she was in? Arrested uh, Development, I think. With, uh, n- uh no. Oh, it was before that? Yeah, it was w- it, but sh- it was with um her like her friend in Arrested Development. What's what's uh, what's her name? The daughter, maybe. Who plays maybe? Mm-hmm. So they were in a show on Fox Family or ABC Family, um, and it was really cute. It was like set in the '60s, and they were like two best friends growing up. And yeah, I have fond memories of Mae Whitman. And then, sorry, whoever you are who plays maybe, I can't remember your name. Alita Shawcat. Alita Shawcat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are all really wonderful answers. I, I, I'll try to come up with a better one. 
but really enjoyed all of your answers. Uh, Dave or Christine, would you like to talk about what your revisit journey was like? I can go. Um, I picked uh, a Tory pick from, I think, the first year, but I'm not, I, I can't remember. Uh, it was during the summer. I picked uh, 1984's Night of the Comet. I remember this episode being a lot of fun and me being like, wow, this movie sounds so fun and great. And then I never got around to watching it. And so for this recap episode, I decided to watch it. It was directed by Tom Eberhart and stars Catherine Mary Stewart and Kelly Maroney. And for those who haven't listened to the episode when we talked about it, um, it's about uh, after what was supposed to be a celebratory night of star and comet gazing, uh, two sisters wake up and realize there are only two of a few people left alive after probably everyone on Earth or at least ev- the whole population of Los Angeles has turned to sand. And those who haven't turned to sand are slowly turning to sand, uh, but exist as zombies, as terrifying zombies that are trying to attack them. And uh, this movie feels so 80s from the color palette, the purples, the the oranges, the reds, um, to the soundtrack. There's a great mall scene when the two sisters are trying on clothes at the mall, because what else would you do if it's the apocalypse? And girls just want to have fun is uh, bumping on the on the soundtrack. And the the way the it, the budget was pretty small for the movie, but the way that the movie was able to capture a desolate sort of post-apocalyptic Los Angeles was amazing. There are these shots of completely empty highways. And I'm sure that is so hard even in the 80s to have captured in Los Angeles where there's this red haze or this sort of red film in the sky. And uh, one of the, Regina's like riding a motorcycle through Los Angeles and it looks so good and makes use, uh, uses a little and uses it really, really well to really convey, yeah, desolation, emptiness, but still, like, everything is, is so fun. And the sisters are so fun to watch. I think their chemistry is great. They really play off one another really well. And both of them are very different. Or each one of them is very different. But they they have a they have a great energy. And, yeah, it was just a, a great, great ride. Has any, did it, so who watched it for that episode? Oh, yeah, okay, Sam. Yeah, that was, uh, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. I remember I, I, I watched, usually I watched all of our movie picks with at least one of my roommates. And we both sat there watching it being like, what the hell is this? I think it took <laughs> us like a minute, a little bit more than a minute, probably like 15, 20 minutes to like really understand the, the direction that the movie was going into. But once we did and like <laughs> things started turning into dust, I, we were like, you know what? It should end this way, shouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, there like and there's like a parallel plot with the researchers at the ba- at, like the research base who like understand what's going on and there's this whole drama about them not wanting to invite any outsiders into their base and then they end up saving the sisters but then things then it takes kind of a the thing turn where you're trying to figure out like who's been exposed, who's going to turn into the zombie and there's a lot of like fake out surprises as far as who dies and who survives. So 
Um, it dragged a little bit, like I feel like two thirds into it, but then it picked up like towards, towards the end. So big recommend. I'm glad I finally watched it. Miss you, Tori. Hope you're doing well. We miss you. Also listen to Killer Bees. It's a podcast that is also featured on the Movie John Podcast Network. Christy, do you have a whiteboard question to share? With oh, I do. I do. You, um, so my whiteboard question is Night of the Comet related. So if you woke up one morning and realized that you were one of only a ha- handful or maybe the only survivor and realized everyone else has turned to sand, where would you go? Like, where would be your first stop or your or your primary destination? How has the sandifying affected everything else? Is everything else, is it like a neutron bomb where like everyone's dead, but technology remains untouched or whatever? I'm going to say that it's like in Night of the Comet, where if you weren't exposed during the comet shower, you you have like a 90% chance of being fine. So you could venture out, say like 12 hours after everyone else has turned to sand. <laughs> Well, I suppose I'm, what what I mean by that question is like, can I still drive a car? Uh, sure. like I, maybe yes. I can't pump gas, but can I still pump yeah. cars and drive you cars? You can get in an automobile. Okay. I'm going to the shore. I'm just going to go to the shore. I'll be surrounded by sand, which will be a little bit haunting under the circumstances. But uh, You don't Jersey. know what was previously human and what was just <laughs> part of the oh beach. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to People Beach, New Jersey, oh and I'm just going to kind of just like – Soak up some sun and, you know, I, I don't have to be anywhere or do anything. So uh, I guess I'll just go to the shore. That's the uh, Eastern PA person in me speaking out of instinct. People beach New Jersey. <laughs> it's sad that this was like my knee jerk reaction to this question, Christine. But I was like, I will go out walking at night and not fear anything. I'll also go for a hike by myself and not think I'm going to get murdered. That's that's really what I want. Hell yeah. Yeah, just like enjoy like the beautiful, yeah, landscapes and forest scapes safely. <laughs> I'm super curious to just go into people's homes and just like, I don't know, you know, when you're walking by at night, like, man, what are all these homes? Like, I, I don't know, like see any like cool art or cool things that are in there make a collection and, you know, probably start some sort of caravan and go around some of my wares, go into hostel. I would, I would also scavenge anywhere I could. I think that'd be kind of fun. Well, like what cool. your wares to? There's some people left. Christine said there's some people left. Yeah, but Christine, didn't you originally say you're the only person left? I, I left it up to interpretation. I wanted to keep it loose. So I would say one of a handful, at least within the Philadelphia metropolitan area. Why are you trying to hustle people? I mean, you know what? Listen, like this is your choice <laughs> or whatever, but I think it says a lot about you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm the only person left then. I don't know where I would go. I would, I've never seen a super big mountain. So if I could make my way out to like the Rockies, like the, um, I feel like that'd be Colorado's big sky. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I think I'm going along those lines. I'm heading for the hills. So like you, Sam, yeah, go into the wilderness. I'm going to try to end like you, Connor, going to find a mountain with a ranger station on it. So like going to like chill in the ranger station. Maybe it has like a radio. How I'm going to get there, I have no idea because I don't fucking drive. <laughs> but I'll get you on my You need a license. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. 
you're right. I just get some some randos keys, get in the car, and then teach myself how to drive and get my ass to the mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're totally right. Fuck licenses. <laughs> I feel like the plot of you know the idea of someone teaches themselves how to drive in the apocalypse is like some sort of animated movie premise or like a, a subplot in some apocalyptic animated movie. Well, I suppose that brings us around the horn to me then. And I revisited um, an episode that we did when I was still, uh, but a lowly producer, uh, just sort of saying things and having them picked up in the background. Uh, And that, I believe, is our fourth episode. That would have been The Visit, the M. Night Shyamalan film that was picked by Christine. Uh, I had never seen it before and had not seen it up to last week um, when I checked it out. Uh, It was an interesting experience. Yeah, so the visit. Uh, it was an interesting visit. Um, the visit, for those who who aren't familiar, it's an M. Night Shyamalan film uh, that is sort of a found footage documentary kind of style uh, of these two children who are going to meet their grandparents for the first time. Uh, their mother has obviously had a strained, tenuous relationship with her parents and therefore doesn't want to go with them. And they also feel that she could use a break because she's been through a tough relationship that spiraled um, with their father and is now re-entering at the dating scene. So they want to kind of give her some time off and also, you know, want to want to meet their grandparents. One of the children, um, the girl who is 15, and I think, I believe the younger brother is 11, I want to say, 11 or 12, something like that. The sister is making a documentary about it, so it's all sh- it's all through the lens, uh, no pun intended, of her creating this movie. That is the movie we're treated to, it's a typical of a found footage movie. But they get there and they learn that uh, the grandparents are not all of what they're cracked up to be. They start behaving very strangely, uh, and uh, just sort of this increased tension and and momentum to their discovering more and more about uh, the people that they are sharing this house with, who they don't know. And uh, spoiler alert, whether or not they actually are their grandparents. So uh, it was an interesting movie. Uh, Christine, you selected it as an underrated movie, uh, which was our first category. And I think that I initially walked away from the movie thinking that I was surprised that that was your selection for that category. Uh, There were a lot of things about the movie that I thought were a little bit silly or kind of didn't land. I think it tries to be kind of a comedy horror movie. Uh, in a lot of ways that uh, causes a little bit of like the the tension to dissipate for me. I think like in part, a big part of it was how these kids are characterized, like writing these like teenagers or pre-teenagers as like either an overconfident first year film student or uh, a, like a practicing comedy writer slash rapper respectively kind of robs this movie of a lot of its tension. And I think if if you were to let up on some of this comedy, then you might've had an interesting found footage movie. But I also take objection to it being a found footage movie in some sense, because again, in the end, we find out these aren't her grandparents uh, or the children's grandparents. They are uh, escaped mental patients who are occupying the house and have killed their actual grandparents. And in the end, they have to struggle to get away from them. I believe they killed them both. Um, and then at the end of the movie, we because we bring it around that it is a found footage document of this experience and explains itself, its own footage. It's still the little girl's documentary as she confronts her mother after this experience and is like, hey, what really happened between you and my grandparents who were actually murdered? Uh, and it's kind of irrelevant. But also, like, must have edited herself, including the sequence where she's stabbing a mental patient to death with a piece of glass. <laughs> or, like, her little brother who has a scene where he's he's a bit of a germaphobe uh, 12-year-old rapping boy. Um, so when... <laughs> 
he gets a diaper full of feces shoved in his face. She makes sure to keep it in the movie. <laughs> and it's just, it's interesting because M. Night Shyamalan explores trauma in all of his movies. And this one, I think, really does a very bad job of that in making it a found footage movie. I think it could have been an interesting movie were it shot in a conventional style with less humor. But I think that those two elements create a, a premise in which I was unable to suspend my disbelief because of its execution. So mixed feelings about it. I do think, though, returning to uh, Christine's point that is underrated is that uh, a lot of M. Night movies that I knew better than this one, such as Lady in the Water or The Village, uh, I think are very, very bad movies. So to have missed this one uh, within the context of his general filmography, I think this is one of his like second tier strongest movies after like, you know, your uh, Signs or your Sixth Sense or your Unbreakable. Uh, but uh, also wasn't a movie that I was all that bowled over by. So mixed feelings across the board, but I can see how if you're a diehard M. Night fan, then it might have been a good good selection for underrated movies. But that was my experience. And listening to the episode, it was interesting to hear uh, our thoughts on demonizing like mental illness or like ageism and things like that. I did think those stood out as kind of problems after watching it because I listened to the episode after watching the movie. But um, across the board, yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting. That was... Um... The Visit was the first movie that I was, you know, selected to watch for the podcast. And I feel like that was a really great introduction to Christine um, with M. Night, with kind of like an interesting, like a movie that uh, challenged me to think about it. Like, I felt like it was a really good introduction to the sort of some movies that Christine would be bringing in, of course, igniting the M. Night Shyamalan conversation, which I did not think will end anytime soon, even if we have a 10 or 20 year um, special in the far future. And I did, Christine, hear how old ends. I won't spoil it for you, but it's it's interesting. Oh, I'm prepared to be uh, uh, not surprised at how <laughs> bad it is. <laughs> One thing I'll say about The Visit is that most other M. Night movies, or I think pretty much all M. Night movies, are so self-serious. And when you allow yourself to feel like maybe he thought of this film as a joke, then it works. That justifies a lot of the other garbage he's made. Yet the visit, there's a very, I think it's very evident that he did, he was presenting many things as sort of dark comedy. Now, whether it works mm -hmm. is another question or conversation, but I think for once he actually was willing to not be so self-serious in. And so by opening up more room for, for comedy and for play and for sort of just like swinging for the fences and like, you know, doing whatever he wants, I thought it was like a wonderful sort of comeback movie now, or maybe, you know what, I'll hold, I'll hold, I'll save my other. <laughs> I mean, I do agree with that, though. Yeah, I think he was coming back off of a string of movies that were pretty critically panned. Um, so to come at it, especially for their self-seriousness and uh, in spite of having a pretty absurd premise uh, individually. So I think, yeah, maybe, yeah, it is a bit of a comeback movie for him. Whether the humor landed for me, I guess, is is irrelevant. It is. Uh, I, res I, I respect that he uh, he took a stab at it, I guess. There's a huge debate as to whether he's being serious or like just taking a shit in old, like whether it's supposed to be 
like completely dead serious, like a dead serious commentary on like aging and like parents watching their children going up or if he's like completely, uh, yeah, I don't know. And I suppose that brings us to, uh, to my whiteboard question. Just wrote this, uh, at the top of the episode, just before we started recording. So it's, it's Christine, it does not relate to this as a criticism or anything, but, um, but uh, my, my question to the group was, is there a particular episode or what episode, if you look back on your own episodes, the ones that you've hosted and presented and the movies you brought to the table, are there any ones that you would redo with uh, the gift of hindsight after three years? I would redo the back to school month that we did. I picked Mona Lisa Smile. And I think if you go back and listen to that episode, I ended up hating the movie by the end of our episode. So Sounds like we all kind of did with that one. Yeah, I can't stop thinking about how much I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> so if I could go back and read you that, I would have picked The Duff. So maybe you'll see that in the future. The what? The Duff. Um, it is with Mae Whitman and... Um, Robbie Amell, who Connor was in The Babysitter, which was a, a choice that I had made in our first year, too. Mm. I've discussed this a few times before on the podcast, but one that I would want to change was we did animated movies that we returned to, kind of tied to this idea of a comfort movie, Nitro's Coco, which is still a movie that I enjoy. But I really wish I picked The Iron Giant, which after three years, I was finally able to rectify. Just, I believe that was only like two months ago. So I was able to finally discuss The Iron Giant. I was really happy with how that episode went. Um, so it's not too late for anybody who wants to change their mind on an episode theme. And you finally allowed me after three years to finally discuss um, The Iron Giant, which I thoroughly enjoyed doing. Um, so that's one that stands out for me that I wish I swapped around. Thought we had a great discussion on Coco. Still think it's a great movie, but I feel like The Iron Giant uh, with hindsight is the one that belonged in that theme. Both good movies, but yeah, I can see The Iron Giant being maybe a little more uh, a little more you. Cool. And Christine? I feel like, well, you know, we were talking about The Visit. I, I, I will revisit The Visit, you know. <laughs> I haven't watched it since we did that episode. But I think I don't necessarily... I, I thought we had a great discussion, so I think it was fun to talk about. But um, I, because it was my first butter with the, that pick, I don't think I fully realized what it, like what the process is, is to br like what goes into bringing a movie to the group. And it's like, I didn't know kind of the shape that a conversation would take, or like I didn't know that it's kind of challenging to bring a movie when you're still sort of figuring it out for yourself or if you just love it and you can't explain why. And so I think the visit was one of those things where it was like, I, I might've picked a different pick recognizing that I didn't quite know why I liked it. And so it was like hard for me to explore that through podcast form. And I think that the more episodes we do, it gives me a sense of like what movies I have things to talk about and would be excited to talk about it. and other movies that I'm like, I enjoy this movie, but I don't necessarily want to talk about it on the podcast. So all those early episodes were definitely great learning experiences. Now, did I have some missteps like the wedding planner? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, cut off. Some might say. Absolutely not. <laughs> I've got your back on that one still. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Can I just say, speaking of Meeks got off. So another director that I feel like is, I mean, is, is definitely a, like I would. Okay. I'll just say it. Jane Campion is coming out with a Western starring Benedict Cumberbatch and it's going to be fucking dope. So I'm really excited and we're going to, Hey, we, I might bring it if it's good. I, I'll bring it to the podcast and we can talk about another slow <laughs> cinematic <laughs> Western modern day Western. Well, on the subject of kind of like a slower quote unquote Westerns, um, I suppose the one episode that I have had, uh, has had has had to be uh you know uh sweating and turning in my sheets at night just worried about uh you know maybe maybe not having represented the movie well enough and it's only for one small detail because i think a lot of the uh the production episodes and um structure of the episode itself was was fine but uh christine you made a really interesting counterpoint at the end of our episode discussing there will be blood which is my favorite movie when we were discussing our favorite films I think I had stressed at the time that I consider both uh, Plainview and uh, Eli Sunday to be villains within the story. And you you made the very uh, very logical and like structural and academic argument that, well, obviously Daniel Plainview is, uh, to, as, as far as the story's frame of reference goes, is sort of at, le- at, at, the, at the very least a protagonist, if not a hero. And I think my counterpoint to that was that he, at every decision, he makes villainous decisions. He chooses to do the wrong thing and this and that. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily agree with my former self on that. <clears throat> I think that, uh, I think, Christine, your argument um, that he is our singular focus and in such a deeply rooted character study, it can't afford to have the audience reject him out of hand in the structural and structural and instructional sense that we do villains. So I, yeah, I, I take a little bit of that back. I think that that was a little clumsily worded on my part. I think he's a villainous person who is the protagonist and in a sense, hero of their only blood, albeit a very dark journey. So uh, Christine, that really kind of opened my eyes to some things about my favorite movie. And I really appreciate it. Isn't that funny what things stick with us, even sometimes years later with even just this podcast. Like, I think that's what's uh, been really cool about just coming together friends to talk about movies and to, Taught our favorite movies. Um, and I feel like we just also have grown a lot closer, which has been really awesome to like go on this journey with all of us, all of us together. Actually, I, along those lines, I will never forget, uh, Sam, you made such a great point during uh, the Clueless episode. Speaking of Clueless, we were talking about like intelligence and like I, you made a great point about Alicia Silverstone's character. What's her name? Oh, Cher. Cher, Cher, Cher. Cher. Uh, share like exhibiting like a lot of like like emotional intent like just I think we really had a great conversation about like sort of evaluating like how this movie presents characters and like at, like different aspects of like like intelligence and um uh and sensitivity and just like interpersonal dynamic like dynamics and I, I'll have to re-listen to the episode to really get specific but um, just another example of like how I feel like I learned so much from you guys and your, your, your thoughtful insights about everything. I hope our listeners feel that way as well, because we would not be where we are today without our wonderful listeners, you on the other end of your headphones or your speakers. Um, uh, thank you for joining us through three years, whether you were from the very beginning or you joined recently. Um, we love you all so much and we thank you so much for engaging on social media, for sending us emails and for listening to these episodes. I've talked to a few people, uh, my personal life who listen, who have enjoyed 
you know, picking different episodes and watching movies and, you know, watching the films and listening to the episodes back and kind of like going at different points in our, um, podcast history. So I love that that's there for people too, as a record of films that folks should check out and then some interesting analysis and discussion about those films. Um, now at this point, many, many, many films, 134 episodes in. Yeah, I mean, we also had that 100th episode where we did 100 movies. <laughs> I was just about to say, yeah. So as far as movies go, we're uh, we're deeper in than uh, than our episode count, which is uh, it's nice. And we look forward to more butter with that content for the rest of 2021. Um, we've had a bit of you know not our usual release schedule over the past couple of weeks, but we're gonna dive back into our normal routine, getting the theme, talking about some films, and I can't wait to see what the rest you know the rest of the films we're gonna be talking about. Um, in 2021 and going forward. And so I just, you know, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you all for, you know, the three here on the Zoom call. Maybe one day we'll be back in person here or there recording. Uh, But thank you so much for coming on this journey with me. Um, It's been truly one of the greatest things I've ever worked on, one of the funnest things I've ever worked on. And I love you all so much. Oh, I love you guys too. Ooh, happy birthday to us. Yay! (laughs) September 13th is our birthday. We're three, very young. Cool. Any sort of final thoughts as we are wrapping up our three-year anniversary special? Oh, one thing I wanted to point out, Dave put together an awesome clip show um, last week that I think ties really well into this episode. It's hilarious, picking some of our best moments from throughout the years. Sam, the reveal of when you announced that you were the Xenomorph, the character quiz, uh, the way you reveal that, (laughs) you know, I'll... Is just absolutely amazing. You are the hunter, the beast, the xenomorph. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never it, forget that. And it made me want to bring back character quizzes. I think that that was a fun thing we did for a while. So I think we could bring that back once in a while. That'd be fun to do. Yeah. So definitely check out the clip show episode. It pairs really nicely, like a fine wine and cheese um, to this episode. Oh, fine wine and cheese. Shit. Okay. Next time. Next time I'll make it work. That's good. <laughs> that one's free dave thank you i will try harder next time (laughs) any thoughts as we're at the as we're wrapping up the three-year special well thanks for tuning in and thanks as always to uh the movie john podcast network for hosting us as well as a suite of other really great shows uh that of course including killer bees which we mentioned before uh tori and garrett's podcast which is uh absolutely uh, a must listen to if you are a fan Mm -hmm. of 80s cult cinema and of course, we thank her for her participation throughout the years. Um, we miss you, Tori. Think of you all the time and uh, wish you the best of luck on your own podcast, which, of course, again, you can hear through Movie John Podcast Network. Well, I think that is an excellent send off, Dave. Thank you so much for all your hard work, Butter Crew. Thank you so much, Buttery listeners, uh, for listening to us and supporting us through all of these years. <laughs> and we hope that you will enjoy what the future of Butter with That holds. Um, I'm excited, and I hope you guys are all are too. All right. Have a good evening. Have a good whatever. Dusk, dawn, whenever you're listening. Have a good whatever. Bye. See ya.